Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. I'm your host, Greg, and I'm joined by my cohorts in crime for two just exciting, thrilling Tottenham Hotspur matches where nothing went wrong. It is a 1-0 victory to Burnley and a 1-0 loss to Royal Antwerp. Uh, we have a lot to talk about today, so let's jump in- into it. Uh, Brian, uh, how, how geeked or zooted were you by our performance against Burnley this past weekend? Uh, zero. I was very much almost asleep by the time <laughs> the goal actually went in. And then after that, I didn't have enough time to get sufficiently amped. Um, but what really did get me geeked and or zooted... Uh, what I gotta we gotta come up with more synonyms. Um, was the the gift that went around of Son's reaction where he's like smiling at Harry Kane. It's like, did you get the assist? Like that that like that, warmed that the cockles was, of my heart. That was pretty adorable. And there's something delightful to know that not only are we paying attention to these things, but so is nature's most innocent and perfect creature, uh, Humming Son. Uh, ben, uh, I, I think you have much nastier thoughts about the Burnley game. Uh, what are you talking about? We got three points in the bag. And, yeah, exactly. And, uh, a tough, winning, tough three winning points. Winning is a mark of champions, Greg. Yep. And the fact that we were able to to take the points home despite not playing our best is the sign that Jose is the winner we need. Uh, any other manager would have surely blown it. I think, honestly, I think something that's interesting about these two games is I feel like we have played both of these games against teams like this if not these exact teams in Burnley's case, with previous managers that we've had at this club. You know, just these ugly 1-0 just dogfights against Burnley feel like a rite of passage almost. I mean, I think there's a lot you can individually criticize about the game, and I think the sort of through line of both of these games is Mourinho sort of tried to cheat on two games he thought would be easy on the schedule with less than full-strength lineups, and neither of them quite worked. Uh, either, you know, I mean, you could argue we got a little bit unlucky um, to not score earlier against both of these teams, but by and large, they were less than ideal lineups against teams that admittedly came out to defend, and I don't know, at least against Burnley, it ended up working in the end. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with Burnley is this is the kind of match that you say, oh, well, this shows character and, you know, that this is these are the kind of games that you win if you're going to be a title challenger. And if you don't win those games, this is the kind of match that you're like, this is awful. Our manager is horrible. Our players are horrible. You know, whatever. So we're we're a goal on a set piece away from, you know, feeling pretty shitty about this week, honestly, is where we're at, you know. Look, Burnley have always been a team that are, make themselves difficult to beat. It's not that they're impossible to beat. They absolutely can be beaten. They've shown over the last two or three years, that they're, or the last two seasons anyway, that they're not the same formidable Burnley that we kind of like have this ethos of Sean Dyche about. Um, 
But that doesn't mean that they're not a difficult team to break down. It doesn't mean that they don't play a style um, that is difficult to um, impose your own will upon. Uh, And, you know, we mostly hung with them. We mostly took their punches, both literal and figurative. And we, you know, we, we ultimately came out of it with three points. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, the three points is all that matters, and we can hopefully move past this and and get back to winning ways and look exciting and fun again. And, you know, the Burnley game to me feels worse because of what we just saw today when that didn't happen. You know, you look at the Burnley lineup, and it's, it's very difficult because, you know, we're playing such a compressed schedule. We have games at least twice a week, sometimes three times a week. Um, you know, earlier in the season, and it's just, it's it's a madness. And, you know, we talked about what a deep squad we have and just incredible talent all over the pitch. And, you know, it may not be the best squad we've ever had, but we have the deepest squad we ever had. And that, to me, is, like, what I think is concerning about this week is that the the vaunted depth of Tottenham Hotspur just showed exactly how limited they are and why they're depth and no longer their first choice. You know, I think the hallmark of like the the free flowing, exciting Spurs team of a few weeks ago when we beat Man U and you know looked really good against West Ham for a little bit uh, before something happened that I don't remember. You know, it has not been on show. We have not seen that, and and a big part of that was seeing Serge Aurier and and Sergio Reguilon both flying down the wings. Um, in a very different tactical set. You know, Harry was coming deep and, and pinging balls around for Hungman's son to run onto. And the fullbacks were just high up the pitch and, you know, both progressing the ball and providing an extra outlet for, for passing as, as we created in the final third. And replacing those fullbacks with Matt Doherty and Ben Davis was just an immediate setback. You know, they were just both very conservative. They weren't flying anywhere. Um, they, you know, they provided just nothing in the attack. And, you know, our midfield of, of Hoybjerg, Ndombele, and Suzoko was basically just asking Ndombele to find Kane and Son whenever he could. And that was it. Like, that was our only move. Um, you know, we, we, we knew we were playing against a, a well-organized, well-drilled Burnley defense who maybe they're not the formidable Burnley of, of the past, but... You know, you know that they know how to space themselves around a pitch, defend in two banks of four, you know, press a little bit in concerted ways. Like, you know what you're getting with Burnley. And we just did not have any any plan for how to break that side down. Um, you know, the counterattacking option was kind of taken off the table because of the way they play. And in light of that, we just seemed to have no ideas. Well, and that to me was, was maddening. Well, I mean, I think that's a common know. thread in these games. Like, certainly I think what you can say about the United game and the West Ham game is these are teams that had to come out against us because we scored so early against United, or against um, West Ham. and I mean, also against United, but United's going to come and play against us a little bit more in any case. I think there is something to be said for the pattern that we're seeing here. And I think this goes back to last year, you know, where it's this, like, you know, you come out against a difficult team to play, like like a Burnley, like a Royal Antwerp, someone who's not setting up to really give you a lot of chances and, or attack you all that much. And 
you know, you look all right for the first 20 minutes or so of the match. Like, you're putting some stuff together, but it's not quite coming off. And then something dumb happens, or you see the momentum. And I think in the Royal Antwerp match, it was Davies giving away a goal. In um, the in the Burnley match, I think it was just our stuff wasn't working, and we see the momentum. But they sort of we just peter out and allow the other team to take maybe not the initiative, but we certainly lose the initiative and look like we're searching for answers. And it's it's not something that happens all the time with this team under Mourinho, but I think it's certainly a pattern we've seen a lot under him where we just if it's not clicking for us early, we struggle to get it clicking late and. We look like we're, I don't want to say bereft of ideas, but we certainly look like we don't, you know, we're not overflowing with them. Well, like, we, we went to Burnley and played them on their turf, their turf more. Uh, <laughs> oh. It's the stadium. Yeah, um, that, oh, Jesus Christ. But, like, we, we exceeded the shape of that game to how Burnley wanted to play, which if you're going to do that, you need to show up with a plan for how you're going to beat that. And we didn't. And, like, we have a style that we have seen work just magnificently well. And, you know, either you need to structure the game to invite Burnley to have the ball and come on you a little bit so you can counter the way you want and shape your attacks the way you want, or you need to have a plan B. And we were like, yeah, we'll go there and we'll have a plan B. But we didn't have a plan B. So we just got lucky on a set piece and happened to walk away with three points. Well, I mean, there's a certain, like, that's the value of having players as good as Harry Kane and... Sometimes they just win a game for you, but you should still have a plan beyond figure it out, boys. Well, I mean, look, I think I think you guys are right. There, there absolutely wasn't like something that we could look at from what actually transpired on the pitch and say like, oh, this was what we were trying to do here. But like, you know, Ben is kind of you know he, he mentioned earlier, you know, that the Davies and Doherty didn't make a lot of. Or, or didn't do a lot as fullbacks. But you can see, if you squint enough, the logic. Like, you know, you're not going to have counterattacking opportunities, so maybe you need guys that are, you know, the bigger guys that are more solid um, in defense, that are going to hold in wide positions. If for Doherty, you're going to hopefully have him as an extra man in the box. Like, maybe that makes more sense, where you're not having opportunities where uh, Regulon and Aurier can run at people. I think the 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 decisions with the lineup that make the least sense to me are the inclusion of Sissoko and Lucas. Um, and, and now that may be more of a thing of, you know, dealing with fitness where, you know, you don't necessarily have LaCelso who's 90 minutes fit and it's not like Harry Winks is that much better. Um, and you don't have, um, you know, a, a fully fit Steven Bergvine. Gareth Bale, not 100% of the races. Eric Lamella, maybe that's not the best role to play him in. But really, like Ben said, it felt like the attack was, and Dombele do stuff, get them the ball. And I feel like if we knew that they were going to play this set defense, and we knew that what we needed was creativity or, um, you know, intricate passing, then you just play a pivot of Hoiberg and Dombele, throw Lamella in at the 10. And I don't know. And then, then maybe Lucas works as a as a workhorse out wide, or or you play Bale or whatever. Don't forget the existence of Deli Alley, who was not. I actually did forget the existence of Deli Alley. Yes, that would be. Well, after today's game, that might be a little justifiable. But yeah, I I I don't agree with that. We'll get there later. But like you know, one of the things that Deli Alley does really well is like cute little scoopy balls over the top, clever 
reverse passing. Like he is a, a creative figure. He's a guy who makes runs, who moves well. And again, you know, you had Burnley sitting in these like well-drilled banks of four and our fullbacks are not participating in the attack. And Suzoko is a nothing in the attack. Lucas was just, you know, consistently not been very good this season. He didn't look like Amsterdam Lucas, that's for sure. So it was like we were attacking with two guys against a, a organized back four and hoping and Domblet could find them. Yeah, ball and I don't think it's a coincidence. There's, just, there's no penetration there. You can't get, you can't attack two guys against four guys and hope that's going to work. And I, I, I honestly was... wouldn't have minded seeing us play two strikers, like like Bale and Vinicius. Like I, I don't know, roll it out there. Like uh, he's a Vinicius is a big kid. Like I don't know, maybe let him be physical with the Burnley defenders. Let's see what happens. I do think, Brian, you made an interesting point earlier, because I think there's one tactical decision that, I, I think it goes back to a little bit what we talked about against West Ham, which is, we can make tactical decisions, but at the end of the day, some, some of this is on the players, and again, I don't know exactly what they were instructed to do, but if you were to tell me before the match, like, okay, we're going to play Doherty and Davies on the flanks, now I would rather see Ori and Regulon for obvious reasons, but... These are guys who, in theory, should work to get should work against a team that's not going to really come at you very much. I mean, Doherty is good at getting up the pitch and causing havoc in the box, at least in theory. Davies has shown success in the past, especially against sort of lower tier teams, of you know when he can be sort of assured on the ball and can pass with sort of you know relative security in the opponent's final third, and he's not asked to like sort of get on his horse that much. He's shown success doing that. This is this was a combination that should have played better against a team like Burnley and they didn't and I don't know how much that's what they what they were sort of instructed to do and how much it's just them not performing but it was I thought one of the more disappointing aspects of the game because this should be a team that both of those guys should be able to cause problems against um, if we're holding on to the ball for a lot of the match right and like you know we, we talked earlier about during this season about Jose's lopsided fullback formation and why Doherty and Davis like make sense as a pairing because Doherty wants to be high on the, up the pitch, wants to be in the box, getting shots, etc. And like, you know, Suzuko, but Pochino and Jose have both used him in this same kind of auxiliary defensive fullback role to cover for a defensively suspect fullback who's high up the pitch. And Suzuko drops into that right back slot to provide defensive cover. And like, that should have happened. Like, we should have seen Doherty being an extra attacker. He should have been. Yeah, you know, a valuable outlet, and Sissoko should have. That's his job is to go defend that space. But like, that's not how we saw them deployed. Basically, it was like, well, Doherty, you're a big lad. Burnley's got some big, big physical lads. You just like hang out there and like get physical with them. But like, Doherty created one chance, took zero shots. Like he just wasn't playing in those areas where we ostensibly signed him. More. Like those are his strengths: is like being a extra attacker in the box who can combine in the box, take shots in the box, etc. And we didn't get that. And this and is the team you should be doing back. that against. Because, right. frankly, because his defensive responsibility should be fairly minimal against a team like Burnley. Even, even right. at Burnley. Exactly. And then, so Suzuko, who his ostensible purpose is to cover for Doherty's forward runs, didn't have to do that. So he's just a guy in midfield who didn't progress the ball. You know, we know he's not a strong passer. We know he over-dribbles and runs into trouble. We know he can't show up and shoot. You know, like, so, like, what's he there for? Well, uh, I actually thought this game was... a dozen times. Like, he just didn't do things. I, I actually think this game was an interesting microcosm of both Lucas and Sissoko, in that watching it, I thought to myself, like, I can see why managers keep 
trying it out with those guys because you know you watch like this ball gets kind of loose up top and Lucas runs it down and it's honestly pretty impressive to see him like run down some of these loose balls and you know Sissoko is just like out there running around either doing defensive cover work or getting on balls and, and progressing it a little bit not necessarily well but my point is these guys both have engines and you can see where a manager keeps telling himself like in isolation at least like boy if I can just like get that right if I can just like harness that, like there's something there. And then of course, like the flip side of that, of course, is like Lucas wasting chance after chance and screwing up opportunity after opportunity in the final third, and Sissoko dribbling into nowhere. And it's like you think because I think this is a Mourinho problem, but this is also a Pochino problem. And you know, I, it's it's just interesting to me how you think a manager would learn after all these sort of failed false dawns, but, you know, it keeps happening, and maybe that's just a product of squad depth and needing to rotate guys, but I don't know. Right. The thing is, is like, these are these are both guys who are, as, as footballers, incredibly limited, but tactically, situationally useful. Like, we talked about what Suzuko is good at. We know, like, again, Lucas has been very good as, like, a hard-working defensive winger. He's been very good carrying the ball in open space. Like, he's a good straight-line dribbler. But, like, again... This was not a game for either of those things to happen. You know, there was not a ton of defending for Lucas to do. He doesn't have to worry about Charlie Taylor bombing down the flank from left back. Like that's just it's fucking Burnley. You know, and like because the game was so congested, he's not good in tight spaces. He's not, you know, good moving off the ball and finding space between the lines or finding space behind the defense. He's just again just not useful. He would have been maybe more useful today against against Antwerp in a, in a more open game, but I, I think, you know, Jose managed the depth wrong in, in how he's rotating that. He like, tried to get away with it. He tried to get away with it. He was like, Burnley's not that great. I think I can get away with playing some of these, like, lesser lights in our lineup. And I think that's what happened, and it didn't make a ton of sense. We have a ton of lesser lights, and that's the thing. It's like, Lamella would have been better than Lucas in that match. Winks would have been better than Sissoko in that match. I think Lamella asserted himself. I mean, I, I think my me- memory serves Lamella came on for Ndombele, so they didn't get to combine. But, like, I thought Lamella was, I mean, putting aside the fact that he kicked the corner that led to the goal, like, you know, I think thought Lamella did look instantly dangerous. I mean... He came on for Lucas. He was our first... Oh, that's what it was. Okay. But, it, but, I mean, exactly. It's like, again, in, in a game that we're going to have all of the ball, like, Winks is a guy who's tidy in possession, and, like, he's not super adventurous, but, like, when he has the ball all the time, sometimes he is. Sometimes he's like, takes a chance, drops a shoulder, and makes a run, you know? But, like, he'll do stuff if, like, he has the ball for an hour, you know, the way he would have in this game. Um, against Antwerp, he was not tracking runners. He was doing the same, like, shitty Winks stuff that we've criticized him for over and over again. Whereas Suzuko's motor would have been super helpful in this game. And I, I think, you know, that Joe, this is a Jose managerial failure to me is that the what, like, managing rotation in a squad over a long season is hard, but I think he just got that rotation wrong. And, like, why are we seeing our best fullbacks against Antwerp and not against Burnley? Why are we seeing some of the things we're seeing the way we're seeing? Um, I don't know. I'm out of things to say about Burnley if we want to talk about. <laughs> About no, it. I want I, I don't want to get off Burnley um, yet because I think we, we have criticized a lot about this game, but it's worth remembering we came away with three points, and while I don't think we were impressive, I don't think it was highway robbery either. I would say we deserve those three points because I don't think Burnley really did a whole lot. But I think that the, the thing that I would like to focus on, that I don't think we talk about it enough. I, I think we have a tendency to be a little negative on this podcast sometimes. I know, heavens to Betsy, that's 
really terrifying. Um, don't mention that in your reviews for us on iTunes. Leave us a five-star review when you get a chance. Um, I want to talk about Hunming Sun, who I think we have just sort of casually accepted how great this player is, and I don't think we really appreciate it often enough. That was a hell of a header uh, against Burnley. That was so fucking good. I, I mean, he is just an amazing goal scorer. It was a hell of a header by Harry Kane. Like, what a fucking assist. Like, a headed assist running backwards away from goal to put point that at the back post for Sun. Like, that whole combination was just unbelievable. And this is where I will give Jose credit, is set pieces, which has been a very weak point of our game all season. And against Burnley, a team that is good at set pieces and very strong in the air, uh, we had both Harry Kane clearing a ball off the line in a way that, like, after the ball came in, he did like a deliberate looking like shaped run back to the post to cover that space and, and headed it away in a way that looked drilled. Um, you know, Hugo, I thought was immense. Burnley had like a string of corners for like uh, at some point in the second half and like commanded his box very well, like kept kept Burnley from exploiting these opportunities, which again, are a weak point of ours and a strength of theirs, and then to beat them on a set piece on the other end that, again, looked fairly like they were running a play. Maybe it was just Harry Kane's instinct. Maybe it was Harry Kane's instinct to save the goal in the first place, but I will give credit to Jose on how those set pieces on both ends of the pitch ended up being kind of decisive. So, and then to to actually address Greg's question, Hungman's son's <laughs> great. Uh, you know, look, I, <laughs> I, think, I think overall, I think, you know, this is just kind of a continuation of the progression we've seen from him since he's joined. I think, I think when we signed him, you know, first of all, it was kind of a surprise because it happened so quickly. But I think a lot of us that, you know, had seen him play in the Bundesliga were like, this guy's pretty good. Like, but I don't think that we thought that this guy was going to be, you know, at the level he's at now. Um, you know, I think, I think, if you were optimistic at the time we signed him, you would say that he would be a 12 or 15 goal a season guy. I think, and, yeah, this is beyond anything we could have hoped for when we signed him, what we're getting right. out of him now. And, and, and he's been that 12 or 15 goal a season guy, but right now he is, you know, what is it? It's eight goals through five games or whatever, like, uh, or six games, sorry. Eight, eight goals through six games. Like, uh, you know, we're looking, I'm not going to, do pace on that because he's obviously not gonna keep that up but like if he winds up with 20 24 25 goals like that's nuts like that 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 is absolutely not what i ever expected to see out of him and certainly you know if this is you know peak sunny um this is great for spurs and, and the, the you know I don't want to turn it to another negative, but the, the only the only thing that I think is going to hold us back is figuring out what to do on the other side. Is you know we've got Kane and Son, and you've got the decision to play kind of Ndombele as this weird, you know, eight and a half, uh, sort of you know number ten, and but what do you do with the Lucas Bergvine position? Does Bale ever grow into that? Like I don't know. I think that's the thing that's holding us back right now. That and Sissoko. When, but Hungman's son is great. Like, he's so amazing, and uh, I don't know. I, I'm just really happy that he plays for us and not, like, Chelsea or United. Maybe it's because I haven't fully adjusted to sort of Spurs' new place in at least the England football pyramid, but I think it's fucking insane. We have 
like the only time he has threatened to leave Spurs is when he was kind of unhappy here in his first year. There has been no tangible link to anyone trying to buy him from him. Now maybe that's happened, and we just well, he just got a new agent, Greg. So well, but and the, but the rumors are he's signing a new contract with us. So it's it's I think I mean maybe Real Madrid is a step beyond, but the fact that Barcelona, or Real Madrid, or you know, none of these good teams are even trying to test us on him. Is is well, the fact that he didn't go from where he was in the Bundesliga to like a Dortmund or something like that. You know, like that seemed like a logical move for him. But like, yeah, he went from there to Spurs, and then now to move back there and go to any to move back to Germany and go to anyone other than like Bayern. Well, but it's crazy weird. that Bayern didn't like either try to get him at the time or hasn't tried to like get him from I guess Bayern doesn't like buy from the Premier League at premium prices that often, but I I mean I got to think some of it's racism that he's like an Asian player that they don't that, I mean how often do you see players of that caliber come out of that continent and how often do you see them properly evaluated because I guess, you know, we're not used to seeing players like that on that level, but they're they're industrious and hardworking. They're maybe yeah. a little creative. Good like, at math. He's good. At, he's good at working out the angles. Like you know. right, right, right. Like it's. I, I mean, I think about nuts. <laughs> I mean, I do think you're right that like racism is a huge component of this. Like, if he was not Asian and was scoring at the rate that he has consistently scored over the last like four or five years, like someone should be after him. Like he would make Real Madrid better. He would make Barcelona better. You know, like, it is insane. And I think if he continues in this form and has a Bale-like 20-goal season year, you may finally see, the, you know... No, they'll say he's too old now. They'll say he's too old yeah. now, so... I mean, but, Hazard was as old, if not older, when he moved to Real Madrid, uh, so... But, not, he was, but he wasn't from Asia, so... Right. But I think, you know, I think there's, you know, a lot of, a lot of racism in that, oh, well, they're frail. Oh, they're not powerful enough. They're not, you know gonna fight for those goals like I, I I think it's just very easy to be reductive about it and be like oh he, he's not strong enough to play in the Premier League because he's a small Asian man it's like he's not he's a fucking huge diesel engine of a machine he, and, he runs through Premier League defenses on a regular basis wasn't the, the the crazy goal he scored last year where he ran down the length of that was against Burnley wasn't it against Burnley yeah like it's the thing about Sun what I, I really see I don't think there's a better player who sort of embodies the sort of power shift in North London than Son, because Son is exactly the type of player that Arsenal would have signed in, like, 2001, 1999. Like, you know, that kind of, like, very good, very talented, very skillful attacker who was under everybody's radar and overlooked by, you know, the rest of world football. And I know these are different eras and it's not a one-to-one, but it's... It's just he's, he was such a good, smart signing by Spurs. And obviously I think we sort of hit the jackpot on him. But it's, it's, it's just so much fun and it's so impressive. And it's, he's just he's incredible. And, and he's I, so pure and beautiful. He is. Like, imagine, the first thing he wants to talk about is Harry Kane getting an assist with him. It's like, like – Imagine that, like, that angelic beauty at a club like Chelsea. Like, that is just – that's just wrong. Yeah, like, like Lampard yeah. would, like, just give him a scar across his face that we'd fit in or something. But. Well, but I also think, you know, like, we love him because he's, like, cute and adorable and everything. But, like, think about what a figure he's got to be in that locker room just from, like, a leadership perspective and from, like, you know, holding the team together. Like, like think about how, it, first of all, how incongruous it was for him and uh, Hugo to fight last season. And then just, you know – 
look at everything we saw in the Amazon doc. Look at everything we've seen this season. And, like, everybody loves Sonny. And Sonny seems to always be having a good time playing the game. And he seems to take genuine joy and delight in in everything good that happens. And, and, and I think that's infectious to the rest of the team. I think everybody else seems to really feed off of his demeanor, off of his attitude. And, you know, when he's that excited about Harry Kane giving him an assist... Harry Kane is that excited about giving him assist and, you know, put aside that it is, you know, a a late winner or whatever, but like, like that attitude is very good for this team. As much as Jose wants us to be assholes and wants us to be intelligent assholes, like it's also cool to have like nice guys who are very genuinely excited about doing good things. And I think we shouldn't overlook a, like, we talked about this a little bit a week or so ago about Kane in his form. It's, we have like two of the best attackers in the world in our in our attack right now, and I don't think that's been true, even during the best years of Pochettino. Like I don't think Delhi was ever as good. I mean, they're they're very different players. I'm not trying to do a one to one comparison. Delhi, Erickson, I don't think they were ever at the level Son is at now. And watching him and Kane sort of have this telepathic combination is just so exciting to watch. And I, when I was one of the things I and I like about this, you know, it might not be the best business for Spurs. But when I was a kid, and I was a big baseball fan in America, we have the Hall of Fame, and you. Players go in under a certain hat. So if you play for multiple teams, you sort of, you know, you go in under the hat of the team that you're, like, sort of most associated with. And it makes me really happy that, like, Son has sort of played enough of his career and is probably going to sign a contract. It's like Spurs are probably going to be the team you think of when you think of Hunming Son. Well, Korea will be. But, you know, once you get at at club level, Son Son is going to be associated with Tottenham. And I always get, I don't know, that makes me happy and I get excited when, like, we are when we have a great player who played for us, and we're the team everyone thinks of when you think of that player. I, I think that's really cool. I know there's not a sort of counterpart to that in England in the same I, way. I was really wondering how you're gonna. You know, I'm just. Uh, it it like, makes me really happy going? when you think of like, oh, if they were gonna retire, they'd do it in a Spurs shirt. Like that. That that so makes if, me really happy. If your scenario, if England starts. A Hall of Fame. <laughs> this fake institution starts. Existing. Well, it, it would be at the and National Hunter's Football Son, Hall of Fame. Gets inducted into this yes. imaginary Hall of Fame. I am happy if he is. ceremony. He would hypothetically wear a Spurs. Yeah, I am, I am happy that I think at the end of Son's career, he will probably almost certainly mostly be associated with Tottenham. And that makes me very happy with a really good player who didn't come up through our academy and we sort of got after he had two really good spells in Germany. I don't know. It makes me really happy to have a player like that sort of like Tottenham's his team. I mean, honestly, it makes me really happy about Tottenham, the club, that there are so many players who have been kind of nomads in their career who still find Spurs to be like home. Like Berbatov mm-hmm. left us for Man U, had, was like top scorer in the league at Man U. Um, you know, he's played at Monaco, he's played at Fulham, he's played at Leverkusen, like he's played at a lot of places, but he comes back to Spurs. Like Peter Crouch played more games for Liverpool, played a ton more games at Stoke, and yet he's here at Spurs doing interviews with Gareth Bale, joking around and pal- palling around, and feels like a Spurs guy. And I don't know. I, I love Keen. that. About, about Robbie Keane played for every team on the planet. And I think Spurs right. are the first team every you think of. Every boyhood team of his. Yeah. Of, he never realized his boyhood team was the friends he made along the way at, at White Hart Lane. Uh, Defoe's another one. Yeah, there's, there's a couple of these guys. Right. And, like, I, I, I just, I love seeing that. I love, I love seeing that connection. Like, Scott Parker was here for, like, a minute. And, you know, I don't love Scott Parker, but I love that he finished his career and he started coaching with, with Spurs. And I, I, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. The Blues so, yeah. come off the rose, but I think it's 
you know, Vandervaart certainly, like, he played for how many different teams, was probably more promising on a lot of them, but I think Spurs are probably, I don't know about the team he associates with most, but certainly I think the best, the highest point in his career you associate with Spurs. It's 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 I don't know, it's very nice to me when it's sort of like that's the highlight of a player's career, or like that's the team you associate him with. It's it's very cool when it's Tottenham. Yeah, I mean, I think part of that reality, you know, again, like Gaza's a guy who fondly remembers Spurs, Klinsman, Ginola, like a lot of those guys. You know, again, it's not just a recency thing. You yeah. know, and it should be said, some of those guys are more associated with other teams, but they all clearly have very fond. Disproportionately fond memories of their time at Tottenham, considering how long they were there. Right, exactly. And you know, maybe that speaks to some of the fact that, like, maybe we just don't have really good players who go on to better careers elsewhere. Like, you know, Modric is obviously going to the Hall of Fame in a Real Madrid jersey. Gareth uh, <laughs> Bell won't. <laughs> but I think that does speak to like I think you know we've talked about this before. And I, I, our English listeners are probably very sick of this. To use another American sports analogy is like you know Modric he just treats us like his college team. You know, it's like he's very fond of Spurs. He says very nice things about us. He, you know, wishes us well when we have big matches. You know, it's like it's 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 it's. I, I enjoy it. It's maybe it's a bit small time of me, but I do enjoy it. Yeah, I'm gonna be curious to see how Kyle Walker treats us after having a much more longevity at Man City than I would have expected. Yeah, but when you I get, I'm a Spurs fan, so I might be extremely biased by this, but. Like I would feel like if you're looking at like the peak of Kyle Walker's career, you're going to look at Tottenham. Uh, you know, as him as a marauding right back. I mean, certainly he won more at City than he did at Spurs. I'm not going to dispute that, but I mean, I would imagine if you're looking at the peak of Kyle Walker's career. But yeah, how how he regards us after he's retired, I think will be very interesting. Brian yep. looks really thrilled no, with this I mean, conversation. Look, I, I think I think all the discussion of hats and whether Raphael Vandervaart is more identified with. Spurs than I don't know Hamburg Raider Ajax. I mean, it's Ajax or Hamburg, but really Hamburg. So, um, but yeah, no, that's all great, cool, very nice. All right, well, you guys, you want to talk about Antwerp? Yeah, yeah, because I watched all of that game. <laughs> um, and by all of that, I mean absolutely zero. So I'm just gonna be quiet, and then when we go back and do big picture stuff, I'm gonna talk about how we're only two points off the top of the table. But uh, yeah, Antwerp was a game that happened, right, guys? It was not fun to watch. Uh, I, I don't think uh, in our writers' room someone suggested it was the worst half of football from Spurs this year. I think that is definitely not true. Just in the Europa League, that's not true. Let alone the league, I don't think that's true. We did not look good, but I do think this game followed a, a pattern like that I was talking about earlier that we've seen under Jose, which is like we look okay for the first like twenty some minutes. Something bad happens. We get punched in the mouth. In this case, it was Davies, admittedly getting fouled, but. You know, not doing a great job and letting them get sort of clear through on goal. And, you know, they took advantage of it and we just never really recovered. And, you know, some of it, I mean, you know, there's a lot of excuses you can make. Some guys didn't have a great day. I think the referee certainly was letting this be a very physical game and Antwerp definitely leaned into that more and more. I mean, like, look, you know, it's a physical game. Like, you talk about the Premier League, like, it's the most physical league in the world. Like, who can possibly cope with, like, the physical demands of playing in the Premier League? Like, you know, like, we're the team, and, and if a game is supposed to get out of hand, like, we're the team that should be physical. We're the team who should have a bunch of assholes, as Jose wants, that, like, can cope with a a loosely refed match, and you can bully guys around. And we, we, we didn't. You know, Ben Davis got 
quote unquote foul. Like he got pressured in the back and like went down looking for the foul in a way that he's used to getting and didn't get it. And, you know, you cannot, as the last man back, fall over after dithering on the ball and just trust the ref to bail you out with a with a with a generous call. Like it's I'm sorry. Well especially uh, in a game where you can tell that these refs are letting shit, they're letting shit ride. <laughs> right. Um, you know, and like, so, I mean, like, okay, so like just top to bottom, like looking at the team, I thought the beginning of that match, we looked like we were almost pretty good. Um, you know, our attack of Delhi, Vinicius, Bergvine, and Gareth Bale was a very much B-squad lineup. But they were doing some stuff. You know, they weren't quite connecting. Like, these are four guys who have never all been on the pitch at the same time before, ever. And some of them have only been on the pitch at Spurs, you know, for like 20 minutes in the, in the last month. Um, so, like, you expect some rust. You expect these guys to not be on the same wavelength. Like, you see Kane and, and Son having a telepathic connection. You know, there's no way these guys have anything remotely telepathic about their connection. They're just figuring it out together. And I think... You know, they did an okay job of it. And, like, again, Jose knew that that was kind of, like, the game we were playing. Like, we've got an important Premier League game on Monday or Sunday. Uh, we got to rotate the squad. we got to give some rest to some guys. We're going to play the B squad. We're going to let them feel it out. And after things went badly at halftime, he did not let them feel it out. He yanked all of them off the pitch uh, except for Bale. Um, you know, Los Celso hasn't played very many minutes. He was good. He got yanked. Delhi has been in Jose's doghouse for some reason for a minute. He looked not necessarily good, but at least like trying stuff, putting himself about, working hard. I mean, he, he created probably right. our best chance of the match. And to be fair to Delhi, I don't think he was, I thought he was fairly anonymous, but, you know, he put Vinicius over the top and, you know, a good defensive move probably prevented him from getting a good shot off. Right. And again, Vinicius, like, he made a good run. Like, yeah, he maybe misplayed that. He had another good opportunity that, like, he ended up taking a shot that, like, maybe wasn't the best shot. I think Gareth Bale was kind of dogging it on the breakaway. And, like, you know, if that was Kane and Son, Son would have been there for Kane to square the ball to if the shot wasn't on. And Bale was, you know, 10 yards behind the play. Um, but, you know, Bale stayed on the pitch. And Vinicius got yanked. Bergwijn got yanked. And I, I just – it's frustrating to me because – Either you commit to this is what we're doing, is we're letting the B-Squad try and get a win, or things aren't working and we have to make changes to win the game. And if the latter was, you know, your agenda, then the guys who were making it not work were guys like Ben Davis, guys like Harry Winks, um, guys like Gareth Bale, who were, frankly, awful uh, all match and stayed on. I mean, Bale eventually came off, but, like, you know, the guy who was responsible for us being in a hole in the first place was not a guy who was, like, rage-subbed at halftime. And so I'm just not really clear what Jose's aim was. It seems like it was very antagonistic towards the players who were out there to get minutes under their feet and very sympathetic towards the people who are part of his plans and sucked. Well, and I mean, again, with the proviso that I saw literally zero minutes of this match and have only watched, like, the highlights a little bit, I think Ben's... The thing that Ben has hit on right there is, is exactly the issue that I have with the approach anyway, is if you're going to play these guys and this is Spurs B and you're going to let them roll in the Europa League, 
then you got to just let it roll. Like, like you know, if you started subbing these guys in the 60th minute, I, I think that's one thing. But like Ben said, if you're rage subbing these dudes at halftime and saying, you know, Vinicius, uh, Bergvine, Deli, you guys are the reason that this didn't work. Well, I don't know. Then you're not really giving them a chance to get match fit and knock the rust off and get back into the, you know, position where they are functioning as a B team, as like the Europa League squad, as the guys that, you know, can allow Kane and Son and these other guys to rest. Um, so, and, you know, Jose plays favorites. And so I have no expectation that Davis or Winks will ever get subbed in a match. Um, but but at least like roll with it for a little bit longer. Like see if you can overturn it at halftime. Like see if you can you can get in the next 15, 20 minutes some more um traction in the game. Like, you know, like 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 Ben said, Vinicius had some good opportunities. He made some good runs, but he hasn't played at all with Delhi. He hasn't played at all with Bergvine and Bale. Like like what what are we expecting from the B team? To, to what are we expecting them to do in 45 minutes the, that that we needed to make those subs at I mean, halftime with the proviso that you know I, I suspect at least some of those subs were health related and we don't know if it's just like these guys aren't 90 minutes fit or whatever and we need to get them off at halftime maybe some of those were planned I suspect not all of them my guess is Lo Celso in particular was probably a health sub but you know, it's it's certainly you know, given that we have five subs now, it's it's a more extreme version of something that I think we've seen a lot of managers do, which is like, I'm going to use this Europa League game. We have plenty of games. We're going to qualify. I'm going to use it for the B squad and knock some rust off some guys and try some stuff out. And then like the second it sort of doesn't go that way, you know, these managers don't have the courage of their convictions anymore. And you know, I think we saw a very extreme version of it today, probably because we have five subs. But this is a problem that I think we've seen. I think Mourinho's done it. I think Pochettino did it. Uh, Harry Redknapp did it. It was like, okay, let's let's get some young guys some minutes, and then they just don't have the courage of their convictions when things when the worm turns. And it's frustrating to watch games like that because it's like, what are we trying to do here, guys? Are we trying to get a result? Because if we are, maybe we should have started some different guys to start this game. But again, like the idea about the squad is that it's a squad with depth. Yeah. It's like if we can't trust them to try and turn around a, a one nil deficit against a fucking Belgian side, you know, are we going to start them against Ludogorets? Or are we? Well, gonna that's the question. Is like, are we going to start this team? Like, maybe, maybe not. I mean, the idea would the argument could be like, you know, yeah, we have depth, but you don't want to start like a totally different eleven in every other match. Now we had enough good guys playing. That wasn't what was going on. Sure, but like again, it's like. First of all, if you're making four subs at halftime, the problem isn't the players. The problem is the squad you put out in the fucking first place. Like you, you fucked that up, not the players. You know, if if a third of your team is not cutting it, that's on you. Um, and like, fine, maybe you decide like I got it wrong and I need to bring on the big guns. But like the big guns he brought on were Hoiberg, Son, Lamella, and Mora. Like, I, I mean. Our team right now, our attack is Harry Kane and Hungman Sun. Like that's that's the team. That's the team that's doing all of the good things. If you're just like, you know what, we need to put these guys on and win the game, put on Kane and Sun and hope that's enough. You know, put on Hoybjerg and Sun and say, okay, we have a little more solidity in midfield than I thought, and we need one guy who I know can score a goal. Like again, but like yanking four guys, like Lucas and, and Lamella are just as much like fucking whirly ball players as. 
as Bergvine and Delhi at this point. I mean, like they're, they're a little more in Jose's good graces, but like they're not like crushing it in the league. Lamella's not like scoring for fun. Lucas isn't doing anything. Like you know, it's not like these are my trusted winners. They're just guys he likes a little better. Well, and, and I mean, I, I guess the the thing of it is, is like, did getting a result here even really matter that much? You know, like like was it worth you know? 30 minutes of Harry Kane, 45 minutes of Sun, 45 minutes of Hoiberg for for e- e- even if we just rescued a point or you know e- even if we if if we somehow managed to get a win. Was that really worth it or are we just fine with a 1-0 loss? Like yeah, we're going to throw I, we're going we're going to we're cl- we clearly view Europa League group games as dispensable at some point. The question is you know th- that initial lineup would suggest that we were willing to risk a dispensable match today. And we clearly weren't, but like you know, if his if his philosophy, I actually would have respected it. If it's like you know what, I want to lock this group down fast. Like I'm gonna like I'm gonna play starters. We're gonna win some games. We're gonna rotate where we have to. But I'm here to like we're gonna qualify and then I'll play everybody else. Like you know what, within reason, I think that would have been a perfectly acceptable strategy. But this sort of half a loaf shit is just like it's neither here nor there, and it's not helping anybody. We didn't get points. You know, okay. Maybe letting Bale run around, even though he didn't look good, is helping his fitness. Maybe, you know, getting Vinicius out there is helping him just get acclimated. But we didn't, you know, we didn't leave him out on the pitch long enough to do that. So it's like, what are we doing? Yeah. I I mean, look, I I just think, like, this result doesn't sink our Europa League qualifications. Like, we've got got four more matches to play. You know, like... there was no incentive to not incentive i guess that's not the right word but there were, to me there's just no reason to not roll with what you put out there and and let them get you know match fit let them get acclimated to playing with each other um you know we don't know that they couldn't have overturned a, a 1-0 deficit i mean it's not like we overturned the 1-0 deficit by putting out the good guys and all we did instead was put 45 more minutes on their legs when they could have had a break like I don't know. I, I just think it, it wasn't Jose a good managerial performance so much as it wasn't a good player performance. I mean, it was both, but yeah. Right. And, but, like, the bad player performance from the players who got subbed were, like, the kinds of bad player performances that were baked into the kick from from kickoff. You know, the bad performances from Davis and Harry Winks, eh, like, they were for different reasons. <laughs> and, like, if you're going to raid somebody, I would have raid subbed them. But, like, you know, it can't be good for any of these guys' confidence coming into a new team, not struggling for minutes in the first place, to now get yanked at halftime. Like nobody wants to get yanked at halftime. You know, even like a even like you see like Eric Dyer get yanked at halftime, like loses shit. You know, and for like an, a reasonable tactical decision. This wasn't even a reasonable like. Oh, I'm gonna tactically adjust here. It's just like I just don't like these guys. I'm gonna play the guys I I do like. And a, it's not good for them. But also b, it's. His comments after the match, when he was like, you know, asked about the halftime subs, he said, I wished I could have subbed 11 players, which, A, I'm sorry I keep saying A. <laughs> I'm going to get to B eventually, I'm sure. But, you know, he, he said, I'm asked every every match, like, why certain players aren't in the squad? Why is X person not starting? Why is this person not starting? And he said, well, this will show you, this shows you why they're not playing. And I have a very easy decision next week. And so... You know, when the strength of this team right now is potentially having great depth, and now our manager has come out after a game where the depth plays and says, I don't trust my depth, 
I don't think there's any reason you should expect these guys to play because look how shitty they are. Like that to me signals something that's very concerning going forward about, you know, we have a squad of X number of players and how many of them are actually figuring into Jose's plans. How many of them does he like enough to actually consider as reliable pieces of this team? And if Vinicius, a guy who he, he was the driving force behind signing is, is not one of them. If Deli Alley, a guy who, you know, we know can be amazing, isn't one of them. If Los Celso, who was amazing for Jose last season, isn't one of them, like, I, what the fuck are we doing here? I think you might be reading a little too much into his post-match comments. Yeah, I mean, maybe, but, like, his comments... I'm not worried about Los Celso getting anyone doghouse right now. I mean, maybe. I, I wasn't worried about Deli Alley getting into Jose's doghouse after the way he started under Jose, and now here we are. You know, like, shit has turned on a dime with this guy. You know, I didn't I didn't expect Ndombele to get out of the doghouse, and now he's, like, first name on the team sheet. I, I have no idea what to expect. All I know is it's been very volatile in a way that is alarming to me. I but, I mean, volatil- volatility is, like, Jose's stock and trade. Like, that is... <laughs> it's what we do uh, now. Right, but are we happy about that? Like, are we like, no, this is... It's not even like working super well. Look, I, all I can say is I'm much more happy to deal with, like, the volatility and, you know, the I'd like to have subbed 11 players than whatever the hell I had to deal with in the last year of Pochettino. Like, I, I like I like this a little bit more. Um, but, but yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. Like, you know, the the problem is, is that some of the decisions don't seem to be taken with the best interests of the team and the club in mind. Like the, like you said, the decision to rage sub those four guys, is that what's best for fitness and making our depth actually work for us? Is that, is that best? Or is, you know, are, are we, are we looking at Jose's ego and wanting to win every match? And like, I don't want to lose matches. I definitely don't want to lose matches to Antwerp, but like, is it important that Vinicius plays 60 minutes and like starts to develop an understanding with some of these other guys? Yeah. And is it important that, you know, Gareth Bale, you know, gets more minutes on his legs with some guys that he may play with in the Premier League? Yeah, absolutely. It is. So I don't well, know. I, I, I just, I, he did with Bale, what he should have been doing with the other guys. Like, right. Bale kind of sucked, but like, if, if the idea is like Gareth, you just need to run around for a while. Like, all right, fine. We're going to like, you're going to run around for 60 some minutes or whatever it was. And then we're going to pull you off. And, like, unless you're, like, pumping balls into our own net, like, it is what it is. Right. That's the thing to me that is ultimately why I'm mad, is that it's one thing to rage the the guys who are bad to fix the problems to go for a win when ostensibly the game plan you laid out was not that. Um, At least that I would understand. At least if you're like, all right, Davis shot the bed. Winks isn't giving us enough in midfield. Gareth Bale, you look like Gareth Snail. Uh, you know, oh, make those boy. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Gonna make trying to make fetch happen, huh, man? Oh, look, I'm making fetch happen. Okay. Uh, but it's it's one thing. Like, if you're gonna rage sub, rage sub to make the team better. Look like you're addressing the problems, and I may disagree with it, but I understand it, and it, it makes sense. This felt like nothing more than a tantrum. And that is where I'm frustrated. I, I I see where you're coming from. I also think you're reading a lot into it, which isn't necessarily wrong. But like, 
you know, there's a lot of sort of Kremlinology. What are we doing here? Not reading a lot into well, <laughs> reading a Literally lot into <laughs> why we do this. I, I, I could be wrong. I could, next week, maybe maybe he thought Vinicius was so good, he did not want to taint him with this performance and wanted to save him for the weekend. And was like, you know what? You're you're my number one striker. I mean, I think what's more Harry likely Kane, is we're gonna sell Harry Kane. Yeah, tomorrow. That, okay, Harry yeah. Kane just assists. He doesn't score goals. Like, you're my guys. Like I don't I don't even want them anymore. And that's why he said that. He's like, I, these are the legs I need to be resting. You know, Ben Davis play for ninety minutes. Who gives a shit? We're never gonna see him. Or again. he's rusty as shit mentality. too. So I mean, maybe that's his mentality. You know, I don't know. I can read into it that way. <laughs> but what, what do you want from me? <laughs> Better so, names. Uh, so wait, so I, I'm over this match obviously because I didn't watch it. So if you guys have more stuff, to nah, say about you should it, be over it. Period. You should do it now, regardless. Um, but one of the things that I, I did want to say because I feel like we were kind of like a little bit like doom and gloom or a little bit negative <laughs> on the show was like we're still only two points out of first place. Like, like we've had some weird and dumb results. Like the West Ham match we talked about last week, like that sucked. The Newcastle match also sucked Everton really sucked but like we're two points off of first place with those three kind of shitty results on our book and I I mean mean, I admit that we haven't played anybody and like the late November December portion of our schedule is going to really kind of show where we're at because that's when we play City Liverpool Chelsea uh, Arsenal etc but like Frauds, all of them. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they all suck. Um, and you know, we're we're kind of where we want to be at this point. Like we, you know, a lot of these Pochettino seasons, we started off kind of slow, and then we had a big run in December and January. And and this season, like, I wouldn't say we got off to a fast start or anything, but we're still like no one's running away with the league. Like no one's gone unbeaten through these first six matches and run away with the league. Like everybody's kind of there thereabouts. You know what I mean? I mean, certainly a lot of the optimism comes from the fact that like you know Liverpool, for instance, if whoever wins the league this year is probably doing it with something like eighty-five points as opposed to like a hundred. So it all feels a lot more manageable than. You know, it has maybe improved the last two seasons, but you know, I, I would, I think you, you made a good point, Brian. Where I, for all the problems that I think you might be able to find with the Burnley game, I don't think that's a performance as frustrating as say, uh, let's throw Newcastle out because that was just kind of a weird match. But I, I, I wouldn't put that in the same category as like West Ham, uh, you know, Everton. You know, I, I don't think it's the same type of problems. I think they're much more mundane, regular problems that you see against. A team like Burnley, even though you know there's there's larger issues there, but I think they are. It's a much more mundane game in terms of what do we need to improve than some of these other matches we've had. And you're right, we're in a we're in a really good position, and I think Spurs are a team that on some level are still figuring it out, and it's a pretty good base to be figuring things out from. I mean, look, the reality is is six point or eleven points from six games is on pace for a. 69 70 point season like it's not good we're not we're not doing great right now we're in a fortunate position because everybody else is in the exact same well some of it's colored by the fact that you should be adding four points to that total but i mean you could add four points to that total you could also subtract two points from the burnley game like if that had ended in a draw nobody would be like we were hard done by here you know yes but like 
I'm just saying, you know, it, it cuts both ways. As much as you you want to not, you know, make sure we give the other team credit when credit is due. And no, not things only cut credit. our way, Ben. That's right. the rules that we've made for the show. <laughs> so, yeah. Right now, there's there's five points between first and fourteenth, and then there's five points between fourteenth and seventeenth. Like it's very very tight for most of the table. Um, you know, if we hadn't beaten Burnley, we'd be down at like ninth. If we had beat West Ham, we'd be in first. Like the margins are super fine right now, and. The thing that gives me hope is that we have seen this team play incredibly well in a couple of games. Um, you know, the, the last game, we looked really good. The first half of West Ham, we looked really good. Man U, Southampton, we, we've looked really good this season. And the question for this season remains, you know, and I think it's been the thing we've been saying kind of week in, week out, is somebody is going to figure it out at some point, and someone is going to start together a run of results and a run of good performances, and... It is just as likely to be us as it is to be Liverpool or Aston Villa or Everton or fucking Leeds. I don't know, you know, and I'm very disappointed in how we've kind of responded to the first half of West Ham. Um, you know, you'd like to see a response where we just like come beat the shit out of somebody. Uh, and I hope that comes on Sunday against Brighton. Well, we but, did beat the shit out of um, you know, whoever that last. Europa League team we played was. Like, I'm, I'm blanking. Yeah, last. You know. You're right, but like this week has been bad, and yeah, I, I I still look back at those games and I say there's something there. This team this team is too obviously talented. Kane and Son are looking like some of the best players in the world right now. They're in insane form. You know, it does. The margins are so fine. It doesn't take a lot for us to actually start looking like a title winning side. Uh, I, I just. I see a game like this, and I see a game like Burnley, and I go, well, we're probably not going to manage it. Well, but the thing is, is, like, after the Burnley result, you know, a lot of the media in England started discussing, you know, like, are Spurs a viable title contender? And I think the consensus seems to be top four, yes, title, no, on the basis that, like, Spurs have never won a title or, you know, like not a Premier League title. You know what I mean? Like, we're, like we the sort of dumb argument where it's just like, well, they've never won anything. So how could they ever win something now? As though Liverpool had ever won anything, um, you know, like, I, I don't know. Liverpool have never won anything. Yeah, never. No European trophies before they beat I us in the Champions League. Anything won by Liverpool is legitimate. Nope, not at all. But you know what I mean? Like, like, I what I mean is, the argument is that these players at Spurs have not won anything. And, you know, the Spurs team hasn't won anything recently. It's just like, this collection of Liverpool players, what had they kind of won before they started winning everything? What did the collection of City players won, you know, before they started winning everything? So it's just like, you know, we have an experienced manager in Jose Mourinho who, you know, 93% of the fan base seems to hate, and that's fine, whatever. But, like, he wins stuff, and he has some experience winning things. And we have some players who have won some stuff. Like, we have, you know, some guys that have experience. Like, Hugo's a World Cup winner. You know, I, you know, like, I don't think experience not winning the Premier League automatically rules us out. I think this year is such a weird year already that... It's just going to come down to, like, 
I don't know who plays best, not who has experience as a winner. Like I, I, I think that particular narrative around this team is is a little annoying. It's a lot annoying. <laughs> you know, Man City has plenty of experience winning, and they're in fucking thirteenth right now. You know, like it's 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 a nonsensical framework. And I think you're absolutely right that like again, we're just as likely, maybe not just as likely, but as likely as anybody to actually figure it out. We do have a very experienced coach who has won things. We have very talented players. Everybody has problems with their squad. Everybody is struggling to put wins together. Yeah, I mean, we're going to win the league. I feel completely confident of that. It's just well, like, I can't I'll believe that whole time that I was talking that I mentioned Liverpool and not Leicester, who were a much more obvious decision for a team that had not won things. But yeah. go ahead, Greg. Another team, another team that never won anything and haven't heard of before. Um, I do not recognize that as legitimate. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's. You, I, I think we said this on the podcast a few weeks ago. If it's not going to be Liverpool, if it's not going to be City, like, you know, we're just as likely as anybody at that point. You know, like I don't think anyone's Chelsea's markedly better than us. United certainly isn't. Uh, which isn't to say they won't finish above us. I certainly feel very comfortable about our chances of for top four right now. Um, considering how the league's looked and how we've played, I feel pretty good about our chances at that. All right, as much as I dislike Jose in a lot of ways, I like him a lot more than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer or Frank Lampard or, I don't know, uh, who else is the manager? Brendan Rodgers. Arteta. <laughs> Arteta, yeah. Yeah, I, boy, I, I, Blue came off that rose pretty quick this year, hasn't it? Jeez. Yeah, well, they won in the Europa League today, so. Ah, you know. yes, well, clearly that's the side. <laughs> side of champions. Uh,. Yeah, again, it's like, why not us? I don't think Jose's that bad. But, I mean, look, I think the thing is, is, like, like let's just stay in the conversation. Like, I, I'm i not saying that I, you know, I don't expect us to win the league. I think certainly that over the course of the season, better squads like City or Liverpool will maybe win out, you know, regardless of injury issues. But it's just like, you know... Let's stay in touching distance. Let's stay, you know, going deep in the cup competitions. Like, you know, we've all talked about Jose and this, like, short-termist view of the team and the, and the club. So, like, let's, let's, you know, win something. Let's be within, you know, touching distance of winning a league. Let's be, you know, in semifinals and finals of cup competitions. Like, like that's what we're looking for. And, like... For, you know, an early start to a season that's kind of, like, honestly a little underwhelming, giving the results in certain games, to be two points off the top, eh, I'll take it. Like, I, I, maybe maybe I'm not setting my sights high enough because, like, I should want, like, better performances in other games and we should be, like, running away with this league. But, like, I, I don't know, two points off, that's that's fine. Yeah, I I think we're just we're too fun to be this boring. I think is uh, I think a big part of my problem is that we've seen how exciting we are and seen how fun we are. That when we're as drab as we've been in games like Newcastle and you know it's and, and Burnley and this, it's like oh, I don't think we were drab against Newcastle. I think that was a fairly fun display, <laughs> um, you know, undone by a good oh. keeper. But I, I would, you know, it, it's it's that balance of. It's it's one thing to not look as fun because I'm actually willing to accept a team like Antwerp or a team like, you know, Burnley can sort of muddy things up and sl- and slow things down. But it's one thing to just maybe okay, we can't play our game the way we'd like to play it, but 
I just like to see more of a plan or more of an approach than we saw in these two games, more of a coherent approach. And, you know, like we've said on this podcast, we don't always give the other teams the credit they deserve. And I think, you know, like I've said, but, but, you know, I think Burnley's a big reason why that game was kind of ugly last weekend. And it wasn't just that Spurs, like, did some stuff wrong and didn't come with the right approach. They, I mean, they were they were gumming up the works. And, you know, Antwerp today, I think, you know, I, I think they played a lot better than Burnley did on the weekend. But I think Antwerp, you know, saw the referees were allowing a physical game, leaned into it, and we didn't respond appropriately. But, you know, it's like these teams did do things to us and that the games are the way they were the way they were partially because of how they approached it. And, you know, I would just like to see us, you know, when another team is going to stifle us like that, if we have sort of like we talked about earlier, a plan B or at least like a coherent approach to that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, I guess what you're saying is we need to have bigger balls and be bigger assholes. What I'm saying is we need to stop touching our balls so much. Oh, have bigger balls. Don't touch them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's really conflicting. Like, if you have, like, bigger ones, they're easier to touch, obviously, just because of, like, size. And so, like, I don't know. I just... The point of it is just the temptation to touch the bigger, more attractive balls that invite... Ben, invite, just, <laughs> just, just, just eject. <laughs> Abort. I'm trying to understand Jose's managerial philosophy, Greg. I'm sorry if you don't care. <laughs> Finally, finally, I, we've got you. I just you really there. wish the documentary would have showed him being like a tactile genius all the time, as opposed to just hey, you have to have balls. And I was like, ah, this is awful. Like, how is this guy like the best coach, uh, you know, or the second best coach of the last you know decade or so? Like, this is weird. Well, he's not the special one for nothing. He's because he's got special balls. <laughs> <laughs> must be it. That must be it. Honestly. On that note, uh, Brian, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. Ben, where can people find your wildly vacillating opinions on Tottenham Hotspur? Uh, yeah, Brett Rambo referred to it as the pendulum uh, <laughs> that swings wildly. Pendulum, please. Pendulum. Sorry. Uh, I'm sorry I pronounced my fake word incorrectly. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm very – so we didn't talk about Brighton, and I don't want to take too much time, but, like, Brighton have been very hard done by in most of their matches this season, and so this has, like, very Dr. Tottenham kind of on the wall. But they're a team that wants to play football, and maybe we can beat them. And so I will feel very my pendulum will swing back <laughs> if we beat Brighton and are not the team that finally corrects their their unfortunate start to the season, despite being a very good team. Um, if we still manage, if we manage to be one of the teams that do them dirty, I will feel better. Well, so where anyway, can you, you where, yeah, where can people find the pendulum if they if they want to wait till next week? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Comrade Usper. And you can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. And don't forget to find our new podcast Twitter at WDR, as in Wheel of Dealer Radio, WDR Podcast on Twitter. Uh, for Ben, for Brian, and for Brian or for Brett Rainbow, and of course, for uh, the Benjulum, uh, I have been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs. <laughs>